Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the GRC and Cybersecurity Podcast. In today's episode in the Leaders of Cyber and Risk series, we've got a very special guest, Holly Foxcroft. Hi, Holly. Can you first introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about what your company does? So I'm Holly Foxcroft. I work for Stott and May Consulting, the sister company to Stott and May Professional Search and Talent Management. So Stott and May Consulting, we offer information security, cyber security, cloud security services, as well as uh, end-to-end transformation projects, kind of leading security-led initiatives. And I have joined the company to lead quite a important and exciting initiative, which is building out a neurodiversity awareness and consulting packaging um, that offers accreditation for employers to better understand neurodiversity, as well as leaving, leading research-led initiatives in industry. Fantastic. So before we go any further, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do outside of work, so our listeners can know a little bit more? Yes. So I'm, um, I'm a mum first. <laughs> I have two wonderful children. I run a tight ship because I also have two dogs, two cats, (laughs) and you can mainly find me trackside of an athletics uh, track um, shouting my son to run faster. (laughs) Um, I live in uh, just outside of Petersfield in the South Downs. So that teams with with the career, it keeps me kind of busy. Fantastic. So I know you briefly mentioned your role. So can you just talk about kind of what is your role, what you're currently doing? but also give the listeners a bit of an understanding of your career pathway, how you got into security. It's really interesting because my role is is very much wearing two hats. So leading the research-led initiatives in understanding neurodiversity and neurodivergence in cybersecurity, and then offering the training and awareness consulting packages for employers, which comes with its own accreditation for being uh, neuro-inclusive. Uh, universal by design. How I fell into that is a very interesting path because uh, putting the two together in itself is is interesting. So my my transition into cyber started, I suppose, in the Royal Navy, and I joined as um, I joined in electrical warfare, which naturally migrated into the cyber landscape. Unfortunately, it ended in a medical discharge for me, and at the time, I became a mum which in itself is uh, navigating a, t- a difficult a difficult scenario, I guess. And as well as those challenges, I also, um, my son has autism and ADHD. So that's where we start to see the two coming together. And in my time, I became his uh, lead special education needs coordinator, writing his policies, giving a better understanding as a whole for a neurodivergent brain's needs. And then supporting, obviously, my family, I went into uh, recruiting. And that's when I started to put cybersecurity and neurodivergence together and understanding that a lot of the individuals I was actually speaking to came across as having a neurodivergent condition or they were quite open with me. And I kind of started the momentum of addressing the cyber skills gap that we are actually looking at untapped talent here, but it needs to be supported in the right way. All the while, I've always had a love for cybersecurity and continued that. I then led initiatives in increasing academic pursuits 
college level for cybersecurity, building out uh, cybersecurity um, apprenticeships. And then I conducted my own academic research in neurodiversity and cybercrime, which looked at the vulnerabilities that neurodiverse individuals face uh, being online and how that can lead to them engaging in cybercrime. And my role now has kind of, again, put the two together and understanding that there is a lot of research needed and lacking in understanding neurodivergent conditions and cybersecurity. Can it fill the cybersecurity skills gap? It's certainly something we can look at, but we need to address it in the right way. It isn't that we can just employ people uh, who have a neurodivergent condition or identify as having a neurodivergent condition without the proper support. So my role here as Dr. May Consulting is to help employers to be neuro-inclusive by design, which means that changing the culture, the environment, st uh, stereotyping and challenging bias and making it inclusive for everybody. And then we can start looking at the recruitment piece and whether it can address the <laughs> cybersecurity skills gap once, once that part's in order. <laughs> Something you interested you said, you started to obviously notice because of your experience that people were, that were either telling you or you picked up on tendencies that you may have gone towards thinking they're neurodiverse. Were people struggling? Did they feel that they didn't have the right I guess, support in place to go into organisations? Was that something that you were seeing a lot in the people you're working with? It was. What I noticed is kind of gaps in employment or they didn't follow that traditional route into cybersecurity, if there is a traditional route, dare I say. <laughs> However, they didn't sometimes follow that academic route. Yeah. Or they could relate to me, they had the skills needed, but didn't have the qualifications as such. And that's because inherently the academia, the route of academia can sometimes be unsupportive for neurodivergent individuals. And having, um, you know, being very personable, I'm sharing my own story. People felt com comfortable to share that, to share that with me. I wondered if it's quite interesting, was there like, were, were they, did you notice people were changing jobs a lot because like they weren't getting the support they needed and I guess seeing that quite a lot, is this how you got into thinking, actually, we need to do something about this, just to give these people the ability to educate employers how to support people, but also get people into work? This is uh, kind of a twofold answer, really. So the first one is, yes, they found it difficult or they were recovering from burnout or autistic fatigue. And this isn't to be confused with regular employment burnout, autistic fatigue and neurodivergent burnout is can come from a multitude of different avenues. And unfortunately, employment is a, is a huge contributor to that. So they weren't being supported. They weren't in turn disclosing that they had a condition that can be supported because there is still this stigma that people don't want to disclose because they can see already they wouldn't be supported. Um, there aren't internal mentorship programs, etc. And the second part, which I think is really interesting, is a lot of individuals who have cyber or transferable skills or skills within cybersecurity didn't work in cybersecurity 
They was literally a a hobby. It was something they did for fun. And you see that when we we did an employment day with the uh, cybersecurity skills challenge, the cyber, um, and we brought together employment um, uh, employers um, and we ran initiatives for the individuals to take part in. Yeah. Um, and they were all quite young, um, young individuals. However, some of them were of an employable age and the skills were all there. And yet none of them, or I can't say none of them, but very little of them were actually pursuing a career in cybersecurity. And this goes back to why I first led the initiatives in bringing cybersecurity into further education at a college level, because unfortunately there isn't much, there isn't much in our in academia to to support other than a computer science. Yeah, we've seen it ourselves that there's obviously a lot of people who come in security in many different pathways. And one of the things we've got is like looking at mental programs, uh, college and school graduates now, because school leavers. Yeah. And, and I think you've got to look at different pathways because there is computer science, which they might want to go in as uh, from a development background. There are some universities that have specialist degrees. There's a few that um, that do them and there's more appearing to as time goes on. But it, is, it, is, it does make it hard when there's not a, like you say, a non-traditional academic background to get into it. So can you talk to me, how would a company go about being more neurodiverse? What, what are the things that they need to think about? First and foremost, I would like to say nobody is expecting people or employers to be experts in neurodiverse conditions. There are people who spend their whole careers doing that. (laughs) But what we must focus on is individual need, not putting an individual next to their diagnosis and giving them support on a diagnosis. It very much has to focus on individual need. A person should never be, oh, you know, we, we've hired one person with autism, so you're going, your needs must be the same. So to be more neuroinclusive, I would first say to get support, to understand how to be neuroinclusive. To get that support, speak to a neurodivergent person. <laughs> Uh, so that can be internal or you can engage with um, with myself and there are other charities that offer support for employers. However, it mustn't just be on one initiative. So it can't just focus on how to be neuroinclusive recruiting. It needs to look internal and you need to see where that support needs to be in place, not just for the individual, but for how a team then understands neurodivergent and neuro-minority individuals. It's very much a team-led initiative, not just focused on one person. And going back to what you said about mentorships, cybersecurity mentorships, it's the same with neurodiversity, building an internal mentorship program of support um, for people and individuals who are neurodivergent or who have a relationship with neurodivergent conditions. As we, we we have one in five people who are neurodivergent, we all have a relationship or know someone who knows someone who has a neurodivergent condition from autism through to dyslexia. 
like I say, it's about building, I guess, that culture and framework. It's not just, oh, we want to recruit people. It's actually, how do we onboard people, make sure they are given, I guess, the support they need to be successful in their role and within the company. And that's not just make sure we're inclusive in recruitment. It's make sure that these people are successful and we give them a framework to work within. So a little bit like moving back onto your role. So who do you report to? How many people are working with your team? And I guess just for so the listeners know, is is this a space you're seeing a lot of other organisation, uh, well, a lot of other people starting to look into? Is it something that you've seen growing a lot over the last few years? I work for the Sotomay Consulting side, which is smaller to our sister company. I report into our CEO. And we have in Sotomay Consulting across the board with our many services, and we engage with bespoke individuals with cybersecurity, obviously the cybersecurity-led initiatives. And however, there's a team of 10 or so in the consulting side. However, that obviously the engagement does change. Neurodiversity is growing at a phenomenal rate. It seems like it's the new buzzword. And that actually concerns me as a neurodivergent individual that it's not going to be addressed in the right way. Like there's a lot of talk around the recruitment piece. I mean, how long have we been talking about the cybersecurity skills gap and how to (laughs) fill that? All you hear every single week, isn't it? It's like, uh, again, another, if you look at LinkedIn, all you ever see is like, we've not got enough people in cyber. We've not got enough people in cyber. And then you see the job spec and you're like, I can see why. Absolutely. I mean, I actually go against that. I think there are enough people. We're just not recognising those people's skills. We're asking for too much. And of course, what I'm going to say is we're not being neuroinclusive. So, yeah, I see it growing a lot because a lot of people are talking about it. Naturally, diversity, um, equity and inclusion is a subject we should kick up a fuss about. Um, Our corporate responsibility is to make sure that we are addressing the need of needing to be neuroinclusive, particularly as more people are now finding out that they have been misdiagnosed and they're getting diagnosed later on in life and they need their needs met. So it definitely, it's definitely creating more awareness. However, that awareness needs to come from the right background and and from the right noise. There are some amazing initiatives happening and there's some amazing research being conducted to make sure that what is being said is appropriate, relatable and understood. However, it needs to also include the neurodivergent uh, community. It's nothing yeah. nothing about us without us. And nobody knows a neurodivergent condition than a neurodivergent individual. However, you can only say on your own experiences sometimes. So it's about collectively understanding what the needs are and why the needs need to be met. And then helping people understand by challenging bias using the correct terminology and then applying what skills need or what what changes need to be made. It's not going to happen overnight as much as we would all like that, but we are moving positively in the right direction. It's about, I guess, like you said there, like it's not going to happen overnight. Employees learn, but they need to react when things don't work. So make sure that you're learning from what's been said, that you're 
not just taking a very static approach to this of actually if this is something that you as an organization want to do believe in it's not like this like you say this one size fits all this is what we do actually we're just hiring for there's lots of for like you say esg reasons that people may be saying that they're doing that but like it's actually this is an ongoing thing this is something that needs to evolve and we need to make sure we're supporting these people throughout so what what type of engagements are you working on at the moment and and I think the second bit is how have you seen, I guess, because this is a space that, again, I'm new to, the wants and needs of the your customers, employers change? Have you seen this as a place that's really picking up that they're looking into? Yes. Again, corporate responsibility. We have to be inclusive and we have to meet an individual's needs. If we don't engage in with neurodiversity as a whole, which includes neurotypical and neurodivergent neuro-minority, then we're at a severe disadvantage. Cybersecurity by nature is diverse and our best asset and our best tool towards that is by engaging in a neurodiverse workforce. So it's within an employer's best interest and because there is so much movement, more people are actually putting their hands up and saying, my needs need to be met. Employers are also quite cautious because we are talking of a medical condition in in what some people identify as having a medical condition. There are two modes of disability, the social and medical model. A lot of neurodivergent individuals follow that they are disabled because of social construction and how it's actually society that has made us disabled and not to perform at our best. And of course, employers want us to perform. And where there is a heavy presence of neurodivergent individuals in technology, particularly cybersecurity, it's definitely within their best interest because, again, let's go back to the cybersecurity skills gap. They want to be able to retain that workforce. Recruitment is expensive. So I can can attest to that this year. (laughs) It's been a very expensive and... Yeah, it is extremely expensive to recruit and salaries for people who work in cyber are only going to continue to go up. I think retention of staff has become, not that it wasn't important before, but people are seeing it as like, wow, this is a lot more than maybe what we were spending two to three years ago. Absolutely. So making sure that you are neuro-inclusive, not only are you then widening your talent pool and um, looking at different candidates, but by being your inclusive, your retention piece is going to be much better. You're going to be able to retain that workforce, understand and get the most out of your workforce as well, and particularly in cyber. One of the things that you said that I thought was very interesting is that it gives you also different perspectives. I think especially with cyber, where it's so important to have different people thinking in different ways, because I think if you're if you're hiring people who think in the same way over and over again, you're not going to find different ways to try and essentially break things or get into things, right? And having people from different backgrounds, different understandings, different learning pathways means that they've not all come through the same cookie-cutter approach. And it means that you've got a much more, I would say, comprehensive plan to assurance because you've got different backgrounds who don't all think in the same way. And I think sometimes employers forget about that as a, a benefit in itself, which is the different skills and people really can make a huge difference. 
So where do you spend most of your time currently and what are the key priorities that you're working on at the moment? I'm fairly new to Sutton May. So my key priorities at the moment are building our content and our training and awareness packages and our accreditation. So that's kept me rather busy. <laughs> and yeah, building our, our training and awareness packages, I've been engaging with cybersecurity industry to understand what the need is. I've been engaging with cybersecurity leaders and CISOs to find out their understanding of neurodivergent conditions. What challenges have they faced? And then I have also been engaging with academia and other research-led initiatives to actually build our research piece to build on understanding neurodivergent conditions in cybersecurity. Can it help towards the cybersecurity skills gap? And building my content and training awareness piece on that. And then I've been engaging, um, starting to engage with employers to help understand how I can support them to be more neuro-inclusive and how to build those internal mentorships and build the recruitment and retention around being neuro-inclusive and ongoing. And that will be the surrounding the accreditation of being neuro-inclusive, universal by design. What do you find that's really working for your clients at the moment? uncomfortable conversations that they can hold their hands up and be comfortable to say we want to be we want to be able to engage with um, understanding neurodiverse uh, or neurodivergent conditions and our neurodivergent workforce or potential workforce but we don't know how to do it we want we don't know where we are what we're doing and everybody's talking about it but nobody quite understands. So what's working is creating almost a Chatham House forum to say, let's make sure that you are using the right terminology. What what has or hasn't worked? Where changes need to be made? Almost a a training needs a gap analysis of an an, an organization or a team where there is a, a presence and creating positive disclosure So by making it neuro-inclusive and making it universal by design, a person can voice their needs of having a condition or they can just voice their needs as, this is what I need. And it isn't so much of a a barrier to being uh, employed. What else is working is, to be honest, it it is mainly of creating that space of Say what you want without offending me, and then I'll correct you. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we had a on-site training with man- with some of our managers yesterday, talking about protective characteristics, making sure that if this is disclosed to you, make sure you understand what that is, because people just don't know or like weren't aware of it. And look, to be fair, it's not something in my career that was particularly brought to the thing of like there was lots of hiring practices and other things, but neurodiversity was not something that was ever like made a thing of to you and from this conversation from between our I guess the conversations we've had lead up to this I've done a lot of looking at it and you're going actually there's a really huge opportunity here for employers where I know we've repeated it a few times is there is an opportunity here for first of all for improved retention of staff understand staff's wants and needs that you may not already know and on top of that like 
have a program where you can tap into additional people and create a framework for them to be successful. I mean, and it obviously sounds really easily saying that, and there's a lot of steps on the way to doing that. But I think a lot of employers are missing a trick here if this is not something that they want to go and, well, that they're not already doing. So I know we've said what's working. What are the biggest challenges that you're having working with clients? I would say because neurodivergent or neurodivergent conditions aren't visible, so the problem isn't isn't there. And a lot of challenging bias and stereotyping and making people aware that their thoughts are harmful um, um, and negative. And that's why it's really important to actually challenge and change that bias of understanding. Unfortunately, media has given us false representation of what a neurodivergent condition can look like, particularly with hackers. If, If you're a white male with autism, suddenly you're the world's greatest hacker. Thank you, Mr. Robot, for that. So through media representation or misunderstanding through stereotyping, our biggest challenge is actually changing that and changing the understanding into a positive reflection of neurodivergent conditions. If you looked at the next two years, what are the biggest concerns that you have in this space? that the term neurodiversity is going to be fatigued environment. You know, people leave positions, new people come in. It is a consistent piece. And that's part of our service offering in that it isn't just a one-size-fits-all training piece. It is further engagement. And my biggest concern is the recruitment-only-led initiatives when you're not looking at how to further support, first, who's neurodivergent in your in your company already, that they're not being supported, and yet you're looking to onboard people without giving them the proper support or understanding. You're just, you're offering a disservice to neurodivergent individuals by just looking at how to onboard them. Yeah, it's got to be ongoing training and awareness for everyone and then obviously ongoing support for the individuals to make sure that you, you're doing the right things so I, I guess look I know, I know this question often people talk about COVID but I guess what are the lessons learned from the last two years of COVID how did that affect I guess the wants and needs of neurodiverse people did did you see a lot of challenges during this period of remote working Finally, our reasonable adjustments don't seem so reasonable anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, again, it's very much individual need. Um, And for some people, working in an office environment can be really challenging. And those challenges can come from several areas. It can be noisy. There can be hot desking, bright lights. Yeah. So COVID really was um, a support in in understanding what those reasonable adjustments can look like. And I think in cybersecurity as well, it's helped us understand from a more personal perspective what our own, taking, you know, on our our own um, home equipment and things. But for neurodivergent working, 
yeah, it has taught us that our needs can be met and there is a way (laughs) suddenly overnight we weren't forced. And that should have happened a long time ago. But this comes with not understanding what the reasonable adjustments for neurodivergent individuals can look like as well. Can you talk me through what skills do you think make a great information security professional? I mean, you've worked in recruitment, you're obviously in this research space. What do you think are the key skills? My piece of advice would be to look outside of security and start to look at the social sciences, start to look at cognitive understanding in different areas. So when I say social sciences, look at sociology and criminology because understanding those different risk areas and different risk factors, having a wider understanding of human behavior means that they aren't coming from just a one side love and appreciation for cybersecurity because that can be learned. Whereas looking at different avenues, even maybe a legal background, but I am a keen influencer of looking towards the social sciences when looking to build security teams. Yeah, and I think if you look at some of the social engineering and some of the very big hacks that have happened recently is at least a starting point to get credentials. Yeah. It is it's still a very strong way of getting your foot in the door and admit pe- and that and that is just training and make people aware that this can happen and they understand it and that that, that is a an area, well, a huge area of risk for organizations. So I know we spoke a lot about your work, but how would you measure success in your role? What does success look like to you? Seeing the change I want to see in society. So by me making those changes, I can measure success. By seeing that people are wanting to fully engage in in being neuro-inclusive, universal by design, not just attending a talk, but actually wanting to change, challenging that bias and making it going forward, standard practice, that they are universal. It's it's just inclusive for every person because being neuro-inclusive doesn't disadvantage anyone. It enables everybody and gives everybody that um, opportunity to succeed and flourish in an, an environment. I like to say making a difference. I really do have a passion in changing diversity and including diversity and being um, and making things more inclusive, not just on the neurodiverse front, but across the board, of course, gender, racial um, equality, socioeconomic backgrounds as well, because not everybody gets the same opportunity. And because of us, our route into cybersecurity can be really expensive. I think that's another area that we we really kind of need to look at how our socioeconomic status can maybe affect people coming into our industry. Yeah, there's so many certifications and all kinds of things that people personally like. I think they're useful, but like I think experience and skills are more what I would look for obviously there's a bare minimum of specific roles that you need to do but ultimately if they're important and it's the right person I think employers should be footing the bill for some of that stuff is Um, there a more valuable skill than curiosity and that's naturally 
I think mm-hmm. I think if you're doing security, I think curiosity and that willingness to just keep going and going and testing and, and drilling in and in and in until you're happy with an answer or you feel like you've that is one of the most important things. Cause if you if you've got that mindset of like, how do I get around this or how do I make sure this is secure, the rest of the stuff can be taught within reason as long as they've got the aptitude to want to do it. Look, we've we've taken in so many people from done non-technical degrees and are now scripting very easily. And there's, there's even like, we've had a ex-footballer, you know, who dropped out at, at 18. He's now in our, joined our security testing teams. So, and he had no technical background. If people want to learn this stuff, they can do it. It's just having to the wants and needs. So if you could have one wish that you could solve in security, what would it be? I'm going to answer this as a mum, and I am going to answer that um, the internet of things going into the internet of toys really frightens me as um, as a mum and having an understanding of security threats. I have seen my son's peers wearing a smartwatch that you know you can buy on Woucher <laughs> and. They have been proven that they are so insecure and they have cameras that can be uh, accessed. We've looked at baby monitors being hacked. And as technology is now going younger and younger, with interfaces such as cameras, online engagement, the Internet of Toys and Internet of Things as a parent petrifies me. But also that we are we are raising digital citizens from a very young age. But their digital citizenship is going to be really important to them when they come to get a job. So I'm completely not aware of what that means and people understanding like you have this huge digital footprint that you probably want to have a like Facebook's after was basically end of my university. So you kind of you've not really had. And if you had, you probably did a bit of tidying up. But People aren't going to have that. They've got God knows what social media platform of all kinds of things. It's just there. And nobody's making them aware of this. Nobody's making them aware. and But nobody understands the vulnerabilities of individuals being online in terms of cybersecurity. There is, and as rightly sh- there should be, lots of um, understanding on the internet. Safer day um, and online harms in that way. But the vulnerabilities surrounding cybersecurity um, and engagement via tools such as scripting or writing code or what are what is breaking the computer misuse act, if you look at the age of a cybercrime offender, it's a lot lower than you would expect it to be. But where does that understanding, that awareness come from? And it's probably even at school making aware as I'm mean, not sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure like the Computer Misuse Act and all of the things that they could get in trouble for is not made clear to people and it's not continuously made clear. Because you, you can quite easily go online, download some software from watching YouTube for a few minutes, <laughs> start what <laughs> monitoring a network, what's going on, and quite easily get yourself into quite a lot of trouble. So 
Holly, it's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, one of the things that we always like to do is ask if there's any other security leaders or people that you think would be interesting for us to interview. Is there anyone that you'd like to suggest that we should try and get on this podcast? There are many, and I would love to sit here and list all of the people who inspire me and I aspire to to be. Um, I get a kind of following on from my diversity piece. I would love to say Jane Franklin. I think the work that she's doing to support women in cybersecurity and elevate women in cybersecurity is phenomenal. And her creation of um, the online platform, The Source, to help women further their career, but also maintain a mental state and understanding of being a working female and the challenges that that comes with as well. Um, I think her work is phenomenal. Fantastic. So thank you so much, Holly, for uh, being with us today. We'll put your LinkedIn profile uh, in the the notes. So feel free to reach out to Holly. Is there anywhere else that you would like that you have people reach out to you from professional capacity? Yeah, I've got my Twitter and I can share an email, which if anyone would like to reach out and talk about some engagement or understanding more on neurodiversity, or further research in this area, please reach out. Thank you. Thank you.